Uh, we met. Uh, we meant to go live a little bit earlier, uh, but I did not feel like waking up, so we just kind of pushed it back a little bit. But then we were talking about because um, eventually it, it kind of felt like we had to uh, get going because uh, Austin from the Frightmares podcast, as you can see on his wonderful hat, is uh, going to see a movie this afternoon. He's going to go see the menu. And we were just discussing how I had just written a review for that with Nick as my beautiful and talented editor. Uh, <laughs> uh, I had written a review for uh, Cinepunks, and this was my first review I've written in a long time. I sent rough drafts to both of you yes. before it was even finished, just because I was like, "Am I? Is, do I have like a good start?" Or like, I was just kind of concerned about it because I'm not. I, uh, funny enough, I said to Austin, he's like, I haven't done this in a while. And he's like, don't you write reviews all the time? I was like, yes, but, like, that's different. Like, when I have to write just little blurbs for myself to record, like, a three-minute TikTok, is different yeah. than sitting down to, like, formulate your thoughts into something that people want to read. Uh, so I wrote a review for the new movie, Mark Myloid's um, uh, The Menu, which just came out yesterday. Uh, that's over on the Cinepunks website, C I N E P U N X dot com, and um, I was just about to tell them how weird it kind of was writing that review um, because I the reason I don't review new movies is because I feel like by the time I see it, who's reading reviews about that movie? <laughs> you know, like I'm not the person who tries to, like I try, I'd like to, but I'm not usually the person who goes out like right away in the like in the morning of when a new movie drops and try to get a review done, especially cuz I have to sit and stew on it a little bit and do a lot of this. <laughs> like, what do I think of uh, very very Hitchcocky and like what do I think of this movie? Um, <clears throat> But I was lucky enough that uh, because of a, a local film critic who may or may not be on this show in the next season named Ryan J. He's a local film critic and Wizard of Oz historian, which is pretty fucking cool. That's pretty awesome. He, um, he has a movie club, and uh, I won tickets to see it. And that was, like, on a Tuesday. And I was like, fuck, this movie doesn't come out till Friday. I have a lot of time to get this done. And by the time I was posting it, like, I, I would send it to people. I send it to friends of mine who I value their opinion. And they're like, oh, I'll read this after I've seen the movie. I'm like, what do you mean? Go see the movie. And I was like, oh, it's not out yet. <laughs> <laughs> and then I also forgot that, like, a lot of people very much like myself don't tend to read reviews until after, after I've seen the movie. It's weird how film criticism has changed. Film criticism used to be like, okay, it's a Friday night. I got my two shillings. I don't know why it's shillings. <laughs> I got my two bits. Uh, I want to go see a movie. <clears throat> what did Gene Shalit... I'm sorry, what? All those movies that we went to see in the 18th century. <laughs> Please, sir, may I have some more movies? Let me get my DeLorean real quick so we can uh, go back in time here. Now I want to like have like make a skit with like Matt Berry with uh, about like uh, going to see movies during like Albert Twist time. Please, sir, may I go see this movie? Oh my goodness! Like that's what we used to do, you know. Like we used to be like, okay, I want to go see a movie. We can choose choose between Casablanca, Men in Black, or I don't know. I don't know why these movies are playing in the same weekend or some shit. What well, what did Gene Shalit think about these these movies? And you'd go read his review. I'm like, oh fuck, he really hated Casablanca. Babe. Yeah, and loved Bay Pig in the City. So we should go see Bay Pig in the City. But now, and I'm the same way. I see a movie. 
sit with it a little bit. Sometimes not too sure how I feel. And then I go read other critics. Like, oh, what did Gene Shalit think? Oh, man, he thinks this is the worst movie since Bay Pig in the City. Like, I don't <laughs> um, So it's just weird how film criticism has changed. And I was... I feel like I, I feel like you guys are just listening to me tell a story. Um, I, I, I'm I was gonna say I'm I'm here for it. You you keep you keep um, going. So like when I sat down to do this review one, I I had asked uh, uh, some some people I know who do get to go to press screenings a little bit more often than me. It's like what do you guys normally do? And like what do, what do critics do? Like you're in a dark theater. How can you be? T- you can't just pull out your phone and start taking notes. It's rude. Yeah. <laughs> And one person said, um, and I don't know what they meant during the movie or after the movie. They're like, oh, I, I make recordings, of voice recordings on my phone. I'm like, one, if you're doing it in a movie, that's disruptive. And two, like, aren't you going to get all the other sounds and everything? Like, like, yeah, what are you recording? Are you recording the movie or what you're saying? Yeah, and then, like, if you're doing your movie, it's like, you know, is it just going to be, I imagine the voice recordings are going to be like, you know, this scene is really good. Luke, I am your father! <laughs> like, like, you're just going to get voice clips from it. Um... <laughs> Um, and then like someone else said, a, a guy's like, Hey, I, you know, I usually take a, a yellow legal pad because it's easier to see in the dark and I get a really fine tip pen because they don't smudge as much. So if I have to try to like make notes in the dark, I'm like, Oh shit, that's a good idea. So I got like a yellow legal pad and I forgot it. <laughs> so I'm sitting there in the movie. I'm like, Oh man, I got to write about this movie. And I'm sometimes a very passive watcher where I lose myself in what I'm watching that I'm not always like. I gotta think about this movie. And then, like, I also just realized when I was writing it, it's like, this is not a dig towards anyone if anyone is, is listening who writes reviews. How I, dare you? <laughs> I don't like a lot of current reviews. Just how they're written. Like, uh, there's so many times I'll, I'll um, I just, uh, I don't know. There's some, I just don't always click with them. They're either too synopsis heavy and, um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Sometimes there's something about them that I don't always dig. And then, you know, I, but at the same time, what, who am I to say, like, what makes a good review? I spent half of it, to, I spent half of it talking about everything else but the fucking movie. <laughs> well, you're talking about the experience, though, and I think that's pretty cool because you got to go to the press screening. But when people are, like, adding in the synopsis about the movie, like, I already know what the movie's about if I'm reading a review. So I don't feel, yeah. I don't feel it necessary to, to describe the movie. I want to know what you thought about it. But it was cool reading about how you got the tickets and all that stuff. Like, that was, I thought that was interesting. And I, I think my favorite part of the review was how you talked about your experience watching it. And I told you this. With, without... Just um, so you know, this was all just an excuse for you guys to give me compliments. <laughs> and I really enjoyed how beautiful you looked when you wrote it. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, no, but, but how you wrote about your experience without making the piece about you. I think a lot of... I think that is something that a lot of writers have a hard time doing. Whenever they start to talk about their experience, they make the piece about them. And you didn't do that. It... It was simply all there as set up to make a broader point about the film itself, which added to the review. Yeah. Yeah. And I've always, I've always liked, like I'll I'll sometimes read a Pauline Kale review and she'll talk about a movie and she'll have like a paragraph or two of like lead up being like, you know, like I'm I think about, you know, as I sat down to watch this movie, I I thought about this movie of Audrey Hepburn and she'll kind of like explain a little bit of what it's about and then tie it in. I'm like, Oh shit. How, I'm surprised. How, I didn't know how you got here, because um, like yeah, like I feel like it's it's hard because when you're writing reviews, sometimes you have to give a little bit of synopsis. You know, like I tried to do like 
I personally don't like doing synopsis. Um, and I was talking to a friend of mine named Stephen Bjork who does physical media reviews, and he he went on a tangent on his review for No Time to Die. It's like, who, why do you need me to describe what this movie's about? You know what this movie's about. <laughs> it's a James Bond movie. Get There's over no it. No time to die. Um, End of story. But then, like you know, it's like you can you can do like you know I, I tried to do just a little bit of setup because uh, I've heard reviews where it's like it's just paragraph upon paragraph would tell me of everything that happened. Yeah. That's, and yeah. then why wouldn't you just watch the movie? Right. Yeah. Why am I reading <laughs> uh, this? But honestly, like, I, as I said on the Reddit, because my hardest part is just trying to, okay, it's usually like, okay, I just watched this movie. How the fuck do I start this? And I just, I usually <laughs> just start stream of consciousness. And I was actually thinking about uh, one, like Hunter Thompson and his Gonzo style of journalism. I uh, 100% was thinking about hunter thompson when i read your review because like you know fear and loathing in las vegas was was originally him on assignment to to uh uh write a write an essay or a, a piece about a motorcycle race and that book is what came from it oh, right <laughs> has nothing to do with any of the no. things that he was sent out there uh, for, but then but i was also what he turned in uh, and then i was also inspired by a friend of mine josephine yanisak lachinsky she's been on a couple episodes of the show most notably um are the witch who came from the sea episode and audition she wrote a review years ago for the lighthouse that i i, I remember reading where a good half of it was talking about a bad date that happened before she saw the lighthouse. <laughs> and oh, I, and I, like, I feel like me and you've talked about how the how you saw the movie is sometimes just as important, if not more important, than the movie. Right. It it impacts your reaction to it. But like, for I I don't read a lot of film reviews. I don't get a whole lot out of it. Um, and I think wow. that's. Because they tend to gravitate towards the problems that you are identifying where like if a review is synopsis, then I would like then what am I as a reader getting out of this? What I am taking my time to read this review. What am I gonna get from this review that I'm not gonna get from watching the movie? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think that's where uh masterfully incorporating the experience can be a benefit so long as it's done well again if if all that that does to the piece is like turn it into a blog post then again i'm not interested like i don't want to know why you were came to that movie that day unless it tells a more important point yeah yeah know? and that's uh, what she did but you know. yeah and what you did in yours yeah it kind of connects <laughs> you to the piece a little bit more um and typically when i write reviews i'm always talking about everything that i liked so that way i'm not just sitting there shitting on a movie um, <laughs> yeah I, so. I have that problem myself sometimes because it's like man making news is hard why would i want to be mean but yeah. then yeah, but i get there is a way to be like critical yeah and like kind of passive without being a jerk yeah. unless you're nick talking about the last picture show <laughs> that piece of shit <laughs> fuck you bogdanovich <laughs> i've had more compelling shits <laughs> i came up with oh. a few things. no you the did i just like, in the store were really good soundtrack <laughs> of the score you know variations of the same coin <laughs> but hey, you pick something that at least you enjoy, and that's typically what I try to do. Yeah. Even if I hate the movie, I'm like, okay, well, what was what were the redeeming qualities? Was there any? And then I try to at least expand on those. It's, you know, it's, and you guys have seen Ed Wood, right? 
I have not yet. Oh, Ed. that has to be an episode for next season. But there's a moment at the beginning of the film where Ed Wood starts. He, he's originally doing plays in Hollywood, and he does like a World War II play, and a critic comes to the to the to the performance, and they wait up. Um, the old school days of journalism where they would stay up until like 2 a.m. to get the early edition of the newspaper with the review in it. And it's like, man, that turnaround time is insane. Um, and they would sit there and he read the review and um, uh, the, he, the, the critic gave him a bad review. But in the review, he said, uh, is like, however, a highlight of the play was the uh, was the realistic time or the time period specific costumes or some shit like that and uh edward's like see he liked he, he liked the play he praised its realism <laughs> and then every time since then he's like he's like my my most recent review was uh no my most recent play was well reviewed uh, it was praised for its realism <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's i just love that optimism i know yeah, so, uh, i wish i was that optimistic <laughs> So that's my long drawn out story. How have you two been? I'm good. <laughs> Same, just chugging along, you know, watching horror movies, watching whatever, you know, watched watched this movie last night for the very first time. So this is uh, one of my shameless movies. Ooh, oh, I know. Okay. <laughs> um, Which is just like is always fun when that happens. It got a double shamelister. So who's the other one? Is it is it Nick? Okay. All right, yeah. so I've yeah. got some. I, I came in with some hot takes as well because I know you typically do that. So I tried to come in. <laughs> I tried to come in with some as well. We'll get to those, but yeah. Nice. I lived outside of Detroit for a year, so the closest con- connection that I had to this film was having seen the statue. <laughs> oh shit! Oh, that statue actually exists. <laughs> oh yeah, the the one of RoboCop. They Fantastic. they put up a statue of RoboCop. That is amazing. You know that's taxpayers' dollars at work right yep. there. Yeah, my dad is uh, from Detroit, so been there. I have not seen the RoboCop statue, so next time I go oh. up there, that's on my list. I've only been it's to Michigan once. I've only been to Michigan, and once. you're right there too, man. You're well, like right next to it, ish. There's a giant fucking lake in between us. There. <laughs> that's better than like what f- four or five states, I think. Yeah, but I have no reason to go there. <laughs> um, <laughs> Okay, fair. I've been fair. to Michigan once, and it was the UP, which is essentially just the part of Michigan that Wisconsin's too much of a pussy to take over. Yep, like, yep, why yep. don't we just take that? Yeah, it is weird that it's that's more still ours than Michigan. it is. It's like the same thing, like Canada not taking Alaska. I'm like, you pussies, <laughs> just take it. No one will Michael stop you. Is the, Michael is the Vladimir Putin of the Midwest. <laughs> just Christ. take what you deserve. The, I don't know. I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but I'm kind of obsessed with this idea of the Vladimir Putin of the Midwest. <laughs> he loves can, cheese. Can I be the Vati- can I be the Vladimir Putin? <laughs> yes. All right. I think we need to end the podcast. It's not going to get any better than that joke. Go out on that high note. <laughs> Real quick, Nick, before we get on to RoboCop, uh, Amanda wanted me to tell you about this. Okay. So I. Oh, is this the Tim Allen? Yes. But, okay. So, story time. We're gonna get we're gonna be half hour into this podcast before we even talk about RoboCops. Austin, I'm sorry if we keep you late. No, you're fine. Um, I'm here for uh, it. He didn't want to see that movie anyway. So, um, I was I was uh, every so often I go to Facebook Marketplace and I'm just looking for um, you know if I could find any vintage TVs or anything like that. Uh, and I was like looking around Wisconsin and I just searched like. Uh, TV or something, and I saw a guy selling a stack of VHS tapes. 
ninety percent of this was porn. <laughs> um, Jeez. Hold on, I gotta pull up the picture I took of it because it Do is. Do you want my old beat off material? Well, you're in luck, y'all. I just discovered that porn exists on the internet as well, so I do not. I need do not those need old this. It's like Paul Rudd and Forty Year Old Virgin when he gives him this box of porn. He's like, "What do you got there?" He's like, "I got a big old box of porn for you." And you're like, "Oh, Paul Rudd, stop it!" Just to give you guys an idea of some of the titles that are in this box. Like I said, it's almost all porn. Um, this one's my favorite. Fishing with the Biggins. It's B-I-G apostrophe U-N-S. Fishing with the Biggins. Um, they've got stuff like Buck Naked Line Dancing, Big Busty, Big and Busty Superstars. And like I said, he's just like, I'm selling all I'm selling this. There's nude tennis, nude birthday party, um, nude lawyers, big and busty centerfolds. But then one of them stuck out to me. What do you say to a naked lady with Tim Allen? <laughs> so me and Amanda went down a rabbit hole. <laughs> I don't know I, what the demographic is or the market is for buying this on Marketplace, but I, I want nothing to do with those people at all. Oh and my it goodness. is a 53-minute, they call it a documentary, 53-minute oh, documentary golly. from 1988 where... Um, Tim Allen hosts the video version of the annual Nudes a Poppin' beauty pageant held at the Ponderosa Nudist oh Sun Club in Roselawn, Indiana, focusing mainly on the female contestants who are not your typical nudists, but dancers from strip clubs in the United States and Canada. Adult film star Hypatia Lees performs for the crowd and is interviewed by Allen, who is also the sole judge for such events as best breasts, legs, and buttocks. And I, we read this as like, oh man, this is not going to help Nick's hatred towards Tim Allen. Oh, oh my god. I'm dying. I am wow. actually, I'm actually dying. <laughs> I oh, no I've words. Been si- I've been sitting on that for a while. I've wanted to tell you about this so bad, Nick. Did you you didn't see it, did you? You didn't like look it up and watch oh, it. No, but I'm sure it's on YouTube or someplace. I like I'm not entirely sure that this makes me hate him more. It might. <laughs> but I'm I'm really conflict like it might make me like him a little more. I don't know. I gotta see if this is on letterbox. What was the name of it again? What do you say? Oh, hold on. I think it's I pulled it up. On IMDb. What do you say to a naked lady? That's it. Oh With the God. question mark. Yeah, right the there. 1970. No, it's no. There's, there's one from 1970 that was made by the one. candid camera guy. This is from oh. 1988. Oh, 88. Okay. Who knew there were so many films titled What Do You Say to <laughs> a Naked It's the naked, lady. What Do You Say to a Naked Lady universe. Oh, question mark. Yeah. Here we go. Question mark. 1988. So like okay. I was scrolling through all these like f- a suggestive porno titles, and then I see one that says with Tim Allen. <laughs> so I we, had to do some digging. It's like I'm sure it's not the Tim Allen, and it is. <laughs> We've got two ratings. We've got a half star and a star, and that's it. Wow. <laughs> I can't wait to after this go to Austin's letterbox and see it on his watch list. <laughs> I was like, hey, man, this one right here, this one's got like a 3.0. I was like, oh, that might be oh, worth watching. Yeah, no, that's way no. too good. <laughs> no, oh, yeah, a half star and, a, and one uh, star. The nudes are popping. I think it was mostly just trolls really upset that they were rebooting their <laughs> beloved 1970s 
film. How oh dare you piss God. on the corpse of the guy who created Candid Camera? <laughs> that is hilarious. Yeah, Alan Funt. Wow. So, That's something you don't learn every day. Thanks for that piece of knowledge <laughs> there, Michael. I'll, hey, I'll never, I'll never forget that. Honestly, I, feel like, I, I thought feel, we would, and I thought we wouldn't top Vladimir Putin. <laughs> Nick, I tried to come so in every wrong. couple episodes of just some piece of weirdness, and it's been paying off. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm on board with that. I'm going to tell everyone about that. Thank you for that. All right, you guys ready to talk about RoboCop? <laughs> Fuck yeah, let's do this. I'm so, <laughs> so right. jazzed about this movie. All right, so let me. So I didn't write my intro, so we're just gonna wing it. discusses movies. Be aware that it may discuss any of the following elements. Endings, surprise twists, unexpected cameos, and all manner of spoilers. If this doesn't appeal to you, why listen to a movie podcast? Without further ado, please enjoy our feature presentation, The Shameless Picture Show. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Shameless Picture Show. I am Michael Byers and with me as always is my favorite, you know, piece of mutant Toxic waste. <laughs> Mitt Richard. I don't know. I didn't, couldn't think of anything. And I was just thinking of that guy getting his dick shot off. <laughs> <laughs> A guy whose dick has been shot off. That Nick was going to be my, that was gonna be be my next hire. <laughs> um, the man whose dick was shot off. <laughs> thank you very much, Mickey Mouse. Um, oh, oh, boy. <laughs> Oh, oh, this has been a weird episode already. (laughs) This is what happens when we record before noon. Yeah, we're all tired and not awake and we're all giddy about things. Talking about Tim Allen and what do you say to a naked lady? (laughs) Uh, But for those of you listening and not watching our video version, one, shame on you. But then two, you might notice the sultry tones of someone who's been speaking through all their entire intro section who was never introduced we have my good friend dr proctor himself though he's not a real doctor from the frightmares podcast thank you for the dr proctor intro uh that is definitely my nickname and uh, i appreciate and although i am not an md but it does have a nice ring to it so i do like to go by that i don't know i think you're an md you're a master of discs okay md all right it's good enough for me. I have this mole here that's gotten a little misshapen. Could you? I would give put you. A I'll refer you to it. my specialist. <laughs> I I just finished a big back piece. Um, oh, is that a, that was the uh, uh, how to train? Not how to train. Uh, where the wild things are piece, right? Yeah. Yep. Finally got all colored in, and part of the motivation for it was to hide some of the bitter moles on my on my back. I remember when I when I came to your house, and you're like, "Oh, I, I I think you had told me about it, but I hadn't seen it yet." You're like, "Oh, I got a big piece of tattoo on my back," and you're like, "Oh, I'd love to see it." You just start fucking taking your shirt off without yeah. like any warning. I'm like, "Oh, okay, this is how this week is going." All right, <laughs> tattoos make me slutty. So, I... <laughs> hey, I get I don't know it. Man. What they do I've me. got a bunch of them. Uh, booze makes me slutty. Weed makes me slutty. I'm. I think I'm just slutty. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, a, a, a nice some crabs make you slutty. Oh like yeah, crabs make me really slutty. Some Maryland and crabs. Being slutty gives me crabs. There you go. <laughs> it's all circular. It all comes back around. Yeah, you know, tabletop nachos and crab. That's how you get going. That's an Afro. That's the Maryland aphrodisiac. <laughs> oh, just rub some old bay on my chest. <laughs> 
Cover you in butter. Oh man! Any 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 like legitimate uh, credentials we once had for being a serious authority for film has gone out the window, and I'm all for it. <laughs> all right. So today, Austin and Nick and I we're going to be talking about from 1987. We got Paul Verhoeven's seminal sci-fi action film, RoboCop. I forgot the title, the title for a second. <laughs> that uh judge dread so <laughs> since I, I normally write my intros i did not this morning so instead i'm gonna go to imdb and read the read the synopsis that j welch 5742 had written Ooh. in a violent near apocalyptic detroit which is just detroit evil corporation <laughs> omni consumer products wins a contract with the city government to privatize the military sorry Privatized the police force. That a Freudian slip there. To test their crime eradicating cyborgs, the company leads street cop Alex Murphy into an armed confrontation with crime lord Boderick so they can use his body to support their untested Robocop prototype. But when Robocop learns of the company's nefarious plans, he turns on his masters. That is an inaccurate description. They don't lead Alex into an armed confrontation. He ends up just dying and they fucking steal his body. Jay Welch 5742. Have you watched this movie? Yeah. It's his first day on the job in a new city and then he just gets, yeah, the the gang gets him and in a very horrific way, too, I might add. Oh my God. That was bloodier uh, than I thought it was going to be. But other than, you know, that incorrect um, uh, description. Robocop was written by, uh, at the time, young screenwriter Edward Neumeyer. Uh, funny enough, he um, he um, was uh, a kind of a, 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 young, a young wonderkind in the, uh, um, Hollywood because he actually was offered to job to be a vice president at Universal Studios, uh, pretty much straight out of his job being a script reader. Uh, but he turned it down because he actually wanted to work on this movie RoboCop, which, funny enough, everyone hated the title for. Pretty much everyone was like, are we going to keep that title? And he's like, yes. Um, so RoboCop went into production. It was a pretty expensive film at the time. Uh, and, they, you know, they had to make sure this movie came um, on time and under budget. So what did they do? They brought in um, uh, European filmmaker Paul Verhoeven who had just come off of uh, another movie called um, why can't I think blood it's and called uh, Flesh and Blood, there you go. Uh, which notoriously went over budget and over time. <laughs> but they could tell that he was a visionary filmmaker, so they brought Paul Verhoeven in to make this movie. And honestly, it, this movie kind of captured the imagination of many people. It came, it came a couple years after... Terminator, which was made for a significantly less budget, but it showed that people really had a desire and a need for these these sci-fi action films. So they just kept throwing money at this production. And Edward Neumeyer said he was heavily inspired by Blade Runner um, and just wanted to kind of find this cool way to mix the grunginess of the of contemporary world with these sleek sci-fi elements. And like as I said, the movie became a pretty big hit for its its incredible special effects um it's actually incredible use of uh, visual effects at the time um and it made like they made like three sequels to the movie i think there was a television show there's been a, a, a 2014 remake to the film which everyone hates a lot more than i do um <laughs> and it's now kind of a beloved movie that 
it's not only about uh, you know fun sci-fi goopiness and and whatnot, but it has a lot to say about the law enforcement. It has a lot to say about consumerism and um, kind of a smart fucking movie. And uh, it stars Peter Welly, Peter Welly, Peter Weller, Nancy Allen, Kurtwood Smith, aka Red Fucking Foreman. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Um, uh, and uh, I'm struggling to think of anyone else who's in this movie. Uh, it's got um, uh, Miguel Ferrar in it, and it's also got one of the dudes from Twin Peaks, which I can't think of his name at the moment. I did no this planning for is this. Is RoboCop? And I have a trailer for RoboCop. Part man, part machine, all RoboCop. <laughs> all sex. Or whatever it says, yeah. All we get sex. the best of both worlds. <laughs> the fastest reflexes modern technology has to offer onboard computer-assisted memory and a lifetime of on-the-street law enforcement programming. It is my great pleasure to present to you... RoboCop. This guy is really good. He's not a guy, he's a machine. Old Detroit has a cancer. Cancer is crime. Let the woman go, you are under arrest. You, you better back up, pal! Your move, creep. What are your prime directives? You have the right to remain silent. You have the right to an attorney. What is this shit? Anything you say may be used against you. He's a cyborg, you idiot. You recorded every word you said. You're dead. We killed you. His memory's admissible as evidence. You're gonna have to kill it. Get in the car, for God's sake! RoboCop, the future of law enforcement. So I gotta say, Basil Paladoris' score for that movie is super fucking cool, but there's something really fucking cool about hearing the RoboCop music, or sorry, the Terminator music, while watching the yeah, RoboCop da, da, trailer. Yeah, I noticed that. Uh, the, the second it started, I'm like, this is the intro for Brad Fidel's score for RoboCop, uh, for Terminator. I knew Man, that it, the second it started playing, I was like, oh, that's a I, weird choice. I really liked how he shot the title onto yes. the screen as if yeah. it was a title bullet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they gave away almost the entire plot, though, in that trailer. Jeez, they went from beginning to end just about. like, And that was cow. like a minute and a half. Right? Like, damn, thanks for recapping everything for me. <laughs> I know. I was like, oh, man, I needed this. I needed this. He's a cop, you idiots. His, his memory could be as admissible as evidence. So many just amazing one-liners in this movie. The like RoboCop has them. Everyone has like a great one-liner in this movie. I also have to I say, love like, it. before we talk about our feelings of the film, I love the casting of Kurtwood Smith as the main bad guy. Not only because it's Red Foreman, but because it's like, man, this is the most like fucking every guy you can imagine. He's got lame glasses, a lame haircut, but he's a fucking just bloodthirsty evil dude i was like man it just looks like my uncle decided to start robbing banks (laughs) in particular i think his performance in the film it first off it's unlike anything i've ever seen him do um which was really fun and he fucking went for it oh yeah like every scene he did he put everything on camera (laughs) oh yeah he's chewing the scenery every scene just kind of felt like so, has anyone here seen uh, uh, Clockwork Orange? 
Yeah. So uh, it's you, been ages. Do you remember but, that you know. the singing in the rain scene, Nick, where they're like they broke into that person's house and they're like singing and dance. It just felt like yeah. every scene was gonna break into him doing that. <laughs> Taking a big statue of a penis and beating people with it. Yeah, pretty much. It just felt like at any moment he could do this. <laughs> so Robocop. Movie that I love. It's a movie that I feel like I definitely saw when I was a kid. But I also, like, it's hard to tell that... I feel like RoboCop came on TV quite a bit, and as did RoboCop 2. So, as a kid, I might have seen bits and pieces of the first two RoboCops. And, and put them together into yeah, a Yeah, I don't think I saw head. it all the way through beginning to end until far later in life. Uh, but it's one well, movie that it, I love. It was one of those movies, too, that, like... It, in, in my experience, I never saw RoboCop, but it had penetrated <laughs> like <laughs> the, the, <laughs> we, we are naughty in the morning. <laughs> yeah, we are. Get it. it. It had permeated our culture so much that I felt like I had seen it even though, like I knew that I hadn't seen it but I was so familiar with RoboCop despite having not seen it in it's kind a way of, it's kind of like Terminator of in that way where like yeah. I feel like growing up even if someone had seen Terminator they know who Terminator is they know the story of Terminator I never watched Beavis and Butthead but god do I know like all of the intricacies of it because of how prevalent it was in our culture yeah yeah. So, um, who wants to start about your feelings of RoboCop? I'll let Nick lead, and I'll just kind of play off of what he has to yeah, say. I'm Nick. sure, I'm sure okay. we'll have. I'm sure we'll have a lot of uh, no similar similar opinions here. I'm sure. Nick's like um, this movie was absolute Robo dog shit. <laughs> no. <laughs> so my my primary takeaway is. Like how depressingly accurate they portrayed late stage capitalism. Yeah. Like, and yes, they were on the verge of that, like, of that exponentially growing arc that led us to today. So it's not impossible to see, but God, everything that I was watching, I'm like, yeah, that's not that far off from where we are now. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I have to agree with that. I was the movie opened, and I'm like, hmm, this is very uh, uh, on point with today's social current climate i was like this is very weird (laughs) if you look at that boardroom scene where they're the corporations are talking about taking over the police force i'm sure at the time that sounded bonkers but like look at privatized prisons today yeah and how is it and other than the fact that there's not a giant robot in the boardroom blowing away one of the one of the board members (laughs) that is like the only exception to how that is different than privatized prisons in our current in our current world yeah i mean in talking about that the ed what is it ed 209 was that the name yeah of the of the robot before robocop i just, Can call, we just, I talk just call about it edith edith yeah how edith amazingly that held up like holy crap i'm watching that i'm like that's a miniature they're using for sure and i'm like they're that is that and for like being... it was some really solid stop motion yeah and... i was blown like, away by that it was cool saying the like Ray Harryhausen stop motion style, but in a sci-fi setting. That yeah, was really yeah, because cool. like normally, like especially at this works. time, you saw stop motion a little bit in horror, but it was mostly like you know fantasy films and. Um, I think of the uh, 
was it Freddy's Dead or no one of the later Freddy films where his skeleton comes alive in the backyard? Yeah. That was some. some oh, that was uh, Nightmare Three. Okay, the one where John Saxon comes back. Yeah, I think that was Nightmare Three. Okay. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. I was very impressed by that for it to still hold up. Not only look amazing, but not you know. I was just very impressed by that. And then, of course, the first scene shortly after where that guy just gets obliterated. I was jumping up and down, like yelling at the TV. Like, and Your Gabby's wife's like, like, Austin, calm down. You, she's you like, I threw the dog across the room. She's and... like, I knew you were going to do that. I'm like, that was amazing. Let's keep going. Yeah, great open, great open. <laughs> and none of the other board members were like, oh, my God, it backfired. And we just watched somebody get blown away. They were like, yep. Yep. That's what well, we're doing here. There was one here. person crying in the the background like, you call that a malfunction <laughs> i mean yeah like, yeah but they were acting the way that like they would if somebody had put the water cooler bottle on wrong and water <laughs> was flowing in like it was not an appropriately large enough reaction no. for somebody getting shot to death in front of them oh, like in the most brutal way too it's not it like was, just one shot it then, was like 37 uh, dan <laughs> O'Hurley. Who uh, uh, played like the the head guy for this company? Who was also in, I believe, uh, Halloween Three: Season of the Witch. He just he just was perfectly just unamused. It's like this cannot happen again, or whatever the fuck he said. Um, Talking about Dick is... Jones is that guy? No, 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 no. Nope. This is like the, the the they just call him. They kept calling him the old man in the movie. Oh. Speaking this is the of guy which, above Dick Jones. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Can we talk about the uh, character titles, or the, sorry, the character names in this? Because we have Dick Jones, Clarence Bo Dicker, uh, Johnson. Did we write this jo- in the morning? There's a, there's a Cox, <laughs> Hold on, there's yep. more. Joe Cox. Joe Cox and <laughs> Lieutenant Hedgecock. Like, it is, it's not, e- like, they didn't even hide it. <laughs> I never wow. caught that. I didn't you, catch that either. All I caught was, uh, yeah, just Dick Jones yep. and then Bo Dicker. Yeah, go through the list, and it's like, yeah. holy shit, they're all <laughs> dick puns. Johnson Cox. <laughs> Not even trying to be subtle. No, I no. love it. I no. love it. So one thing that I particularly love about this movie, um. Oh, funny enough, actually, the guy who plays Dick Jones. His name is Ronnie Cox as well, which is special. Yes. Funny. I- um, <laughs> Uh, one thing I especially love about this movie is this movie is a Mary Poppins in that um, it's fun to look at. It, it's, it's got a spoonful of sugar to make that medicine go down. This movie's got a lot it's trying to say. Not not even trying to say. It's, it's got a lot to say. Yeah. And it's got a lot to comment on. Um, and what, what works so well about this movie and the reason this movie. Because people don't like being preached to. Um, and even when you have movies that are preachy. They're rarely like someone's like, oh, that's my favorite fucking movie. You need, but like so many people love so Robocop. It's, it's a lot of people's favorite movie. And I think it's because it has a lot to say, but it puts it over a, you know, dick shooting robot <laughs> that makes it all so much easier to take. With the so best one liners in existence. You, it's that you can watch the film without taking in any of the social commentary if you're not in the place to consume that part of it but it's there for you if you want it mm-hmm. that's yeah that's a perfect way to put that it's and, not shoved in your face and paul yeah. verhoven has a has definitely made a career doing stuff like that 
while I've not seen it myself, I have a friend who's a big fan of this movie, and I've heard a lot about it. He, you know, he also did Starship Troopers, which has a lot to say about, oh, yeah, uh, you know, about everything. And uh, <laughs> saying from someone who hasn't actually seen the movie, um, <laughs> it's if you once you see it after you, after knowing he's done RoboCop, it makes it just makes perfect sense. It's exactly the same type of thing with the political message and it's hyper hyper violent it's it's so good it's so fun <laughs> and like it i enjoyed so this movie fun. so much on upon my rewatch that i've still not seen paul verhoeven's uh, total recall uh and i love arnold schwarzenegger so it's like i might need to jump into that next yes that would yeah, probably that, be a good idea that that was a fun one yeah i enjoyed that that's a good uh, one so nick ultimately like i said what what i um I feel like we kind of tickled around it. What is your ultimate feeling on RoboCop? Um, there, there is a a cheesiness to this film that's not uncommon for films of this era. <laughs> it's a movie called RoboCop, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I I feel like this is a B movie that got overproduced into a main movie. Oh yeah, but because everybody fucking like went for it. It's an A you, movie for B plot, definitely. It, that you can't. Well, even some of the, the present, the the one, the way that they do the one liners, you know, the, all of these elements that we'll get into, the overly doriness of it. Um, it it's such a B movie with an A movie level of dedication to it that I really admire. Oh, I love it, movies like that, yeah. It makes it so much fun. <laughs> well, it's funny that you even say that too, because I you know halfway through watching it, I was kind of sharing it. I was, you know, I shared a little <laughs> picture of like, hey, I'm watching this tonight in my little now showing stand. And I was gonna go share it in this B movie group, and I looked at Gabby, and I was like, Is this a B movie? Cause like it feels like a B movie, but it's got like the production value of an A movie. Yeah, she's like, yeah, thirteen point seven million dollar budget in nineteen eighty seven. Yeah. I feel like this would be considered a a so the official definition of a b movie there really aren't b movies anymore because it was um if you would go to see um well i'm just gonna throw out random titles none of these are actual double bills that happened <laughs> but like um if you would go see casablanca that'd be your a picture that'd be your a movie that'd be the the big one that everyone's going to see the b movie was a cheaper movie that was made to fill out a double feature so that way yeah. they can pull some more money out of people and get them to stick around longer so it, you know if you're gonna see go see casablanca they might throw in you know music and heart with rita hayworth or some shit as the b movie it's not it's not made at the same budget the same level um but you know they did it's it's produced cheaper so that way they can they can get you to stay in the theater a little bit longer and the the music world equivalent that i think is a little bit better understood is like when they would sell singles yeah and you'd have like the the main one that everybody's listening to on the radio and then you have the b side yeah just it fills it out, gives you one more thing, tries to hook you into something a little more, but it's not the main reason it's, it, it's, why you're going to go see the thing. And at the same time, um, it's not to say that that B side won't uh, won't pick up. You know, uh, just because just something's a B side of a record does not necessarily mean um, it's it's not interesting. So, for example, famous example of a A, a side record, B side record for a single. 
Uh, I'm tying this in thematically. We have Kiss, Detroit Rock City. Even if you don't know fucking Kiss's music, it's a big fucking hit. Everyone knows that song. Oh, yeah. Their B-side was a song that Peter Chris sang called Beth. And it was like a a, a silly little song. uh, Became a big fucking hit for them. So sometimes a B movie can take over and like, you know, for people or uh, uh, sorry, B-side could take over. And, you know, for a lot of um, people in those B movie groups, they kind of use B movie interchangeably with anything that's low budget. And I get that because that was kind of the trend. But yeah, I don't know if I would count Robocop as a B movie um, because they made it with such a large budget going over budget, uh, trying to make a big hit. I would, funny enough, um, I would probably consider the original Terminator as a B-movie because they made that on a shoestring budget very cheaply. Yeah. So Terminator like million, was probably a B-movie, but Robocop was made to be an A-movie. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it's just There are parts of it that felt spiritually like a yeah. b-movie and yeah. and that but being, it was but nothing about the production of it was right a B-movie, yeah which so, is which is part of and, that dichotomy that i try was trying to wrap my head around yeah and then for the b <laughs> the, when people say oh it feels like a b-movie and when they're talking about its plot or its production values or whatnot it's because a lot of times with the b-movies they weren't being as regulated as the a-movies you know if they were it sp- didn't have to go through as many filters because there wasn't as much need for it to succeed so they right. could get weirder yeah it pretty much it's like you know if they were if uh you know if if all the studio heads were fucking paying attention to casablanca they won't they wouldn't care what low budget piece of shit rita hayworth's making <laughs> you know to an extent they will but like they can get weirder or you know they, they it's not going through as much vetting process so that's why when people are like oh this movie this plot feels like a b movie it's because they're saying it's it's a little more out there it's a little more weird uh, because yeah. like something like RoboCop, I can see this plot being made for significantly less budget. Uh, but the the guy who wrote this film, he just had a lot of pull in Hollywood at the time and was able to just write whatever the fuck he wanted to. Yeah, and and I think I'd refine your description a little bit more in that, like there are weird out there movies. Oh yeah, that that feel very a movie. You yeah, know, that that. Uh, say something like eternal sunshine of the spotless mind like a bonkers concept but it like it it's more like there isn't as much of a level of polish in certain places along the process of making the film that i think gives me that feeling in robocop where like the the writing while it's very interesting it feels like it's one person that wrote a script instead of like a team going, yeah, no, we're gonna have to change that. It's no, kind we're of a, have it's to kind of touristic in in that way where it yeah. feels like a singular voice. And actually, to the point where famously Paul Verhoeven read the title for this film and threw it in the garbage, <laughs> <laughs> and then his wife fished it out of the garbage, read it, and be like, Paul, you should give this a chance. <laughs> yeah, good um, thing he did. Yeah, so it's it's um. It's funny because I've never once questioned the title, but now that we're having the conversation, I'm like, oh, yeah, nope, that's a shitty, like, yeah, but, it's not but a be- good title. Because it existed as an already baked thing in my childhood, I never questioned it. Right. <laughs> you don't question the authority of Robocop. <laughs> I just imagine, like, you guys remember that episode of The Simpsons where um, 
Ron Howard is pitching movies to uh, uh, a studio executive. It sounds familiar. There, but there's a moment near the end too. where he's like, um, where he's like, well, what's going to happen is then they have like he's he's already in the the middle of a pitch. And at the this at the end of the episode where he had hung out with Homer for a while, and he's like, and then they have to decide who's going to live and die. And the exec, studio executive was like, pass. He's like, did I mention his best friend's a pie? I'm like, oh, you have me. And then, so I just imagine he's like, you know, they're pitching this idea, and it's like we're going to call it RoboCop, and they're like, eh. I don't know. I just I just imagine someone's like. Eh. That's what you came up with is Robo Cop. Did I mention we're casting Red Foreman as the bad guy? God damn it, Paul Verhoeven, you've done it again. (laughs) Even though that show had not existed yet. Oh, yeah. Trust me, this guy's going to be huge, guys. Dumbass is going to take on a whole new level. Yeah. It's going to be, yeah. (laughs) Anytime I see him in something now, if he says dumb ass or some version of that, I'm like, he said the thing. He said the thing. (laughs) It's when they say the title of the movie. You're like, ah, they said it. (laughs) It counts. It counts. counts. Yep. (laughs) But actually, what I would say about Robocop, going back to the A movie, B movie thing, I feel like. It's a B movie that doesn't realize it's a B movie. Yeah, yeah. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm not saying they're delusion no. or anything. They're treating, and it's a good thing. It's what a lot of films should be doing. Yeah. They're treating this this movie that it's. I love it, but it's got a silly plot. It's got a funny mm-hmm. concept and everything. It's a movie that could have very easily went really wrong. Nick, I feel like we've talked about a couple like sci-fi movies on this show that just like it should have been everything that we've loved but just something about it just didn't work or yep. this movie could have went wrong hell they could have had a different director and everything could have stayed the same and it could have just fucking went wrong um uh, but what i love about it is the fact that they don't necessarily treat it like they're making something less than they're all yeah. bringing their a game kurtwood smith yep. is bringing a fucking performance um it's it, it and that's what I think works so well about this movie is they're not delusional. It doesn't feel like they're like, oh, you know, I'm just going to make this piece of shit and we're going to move on. I, I think maybe as as we hone in on this, I think maybe I can describe my reaction best by saying. And then we can get Austin's reaction. <laughs> if, they, if they had not treated it like an A movie, I don't think this film would have been nearly as successful. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. it. It, it could have very it, easily it, been something like Trancers, where it's a yes. fun movie, but it just doesn't exactly. work on this level. But because everybody I, maybe believed in it, I you know you kind of need to interact with the people that made it to know whether or not they believed in it. But they all treated it uh, with respect, and they and they just fucking did it as as big as they could, and it paid off. Hundred percent, Austin. What do you think of? <laughs> uh, well, there's probably going to be a few hot takes in here. I'm sure. Oh, please do. I am seated. Um. So this movie mm, obviously is an in, is an is an instant hit with me from the first five minutes when they introduced Ed's 209 and him blowing that guy away. Like yeah, I said, they blew I was, that I, fucking dude. Yeah. Even in the I, theatrical version, which it was cut down in violence. It was still really violent. Okay, because I watched the... Uh, I have the director's cut here. Yeah, it's still so very I did, violent. I did see that. But from that moment on, I was hooked. 
I had my phone was down. I, w- I did not give a shit about my phone at that point because usually at some point so, I'm looking at my phone. Would you say that was your thrill house moment? That was your moment where you were just fucking oh, in? Okay. in. I was in right there, right off the bat, and I was hooked. I was glued to the TV. It was one of the most fun movies that I think I might have ever had. Like, wow. at least like in the past like months, that is the most fun I have ever had watching a movie. Maybe this year. I don't know. It's been a while since I've Man, had. If I would have heard that, this review yeah. on on. E- Ebert and Roper back in the day, or Siskel and Ebert, I would be like, I gotta go to the fucking theater. The most fun I've had in months? Fuck yeah. Like, watching a movie, now don't get me wrong, like, there's been plenty of awesome horror movies this year, and I've enjoyed plenty of things. It's not that, like, I don't enjoy things. That was just the most fun I've had watching a movie. in catharsis? Yeah, just pure enjoyment, pure jubilation. Mm. I was jumping up and down. I was yelling at the TV like I was having so Your much fun. Your wife was like filling out divorce papers, right? No, right no, she, because you're so annoying. She, she was like, she was, she knew I was going to react like that. She, she thought it was fucking hilarious because she's like, "Yep, I knew you were going to have this much." fun. <laughs> I love how well she knows you that she's just like, <laughs> uh, like "I better get a helmet or something because Austin's going to be throwing hands." I'm going to hurt myself. Yeah, I, I'm imagining uh, the opening credits and Austin is locked onto the screen and your wife is locked onto you and you both have popcorn and she's just watching you I, I want to see eat popcorn a, and watch the movie. I want to see like a mystery science theater type version of like the movie with, with Austin on the bottom just like fucking flailing. Just jumping up and down. <laughs> um, so it was just so much fun and then you and then you add in Peter Weller and he's just a he's he's an Adonis in this movie. Oh my god. It's, um, it's, you look at Peter Weller now it's like how are you the same person? Yeah. He's I guess age blue, and shit but like. <laughs> blonde hair, blue eyes, He's just—he's a dreamboat. Yeah, he <laughs> is. Yeah, and then he—you know—he's playing it straight. You've got Kurtwood, who's just killing it as the villain, and the camaraderie between them once he's oh, Robocop. Like, and he's like using the gun oh, to aim my, like, nin, nin, yeah. nin, nin, nin. I was like, oh no, this is so terrifying because you're making it into a game. Yeah, and then he gets obliterated by the gang and comes back, and then it's like, oh, because I didn't read anything about the synopsis. I went in fully blind. I just knew it was Robocop, and then I it figured tells out, you everything oh, you need to know. Yeah, I mean, that's all I need to know, but I, there's, like, layers to the plot, you know? He's, like, he's starting to become sentient and remember who he is, and now he's got, like, a vengeance plan, and I'm like, this is the best fucking movie I've seen. Like, this is so good. It's, emo- so- it's like, emotional, too. And, like, so what this movie does so geniusly... Geniusly? I don't know if there's a word. It's in such a genius fashion. Nick, you're my editor. Is that a word? Uh, I, like, I prefer it just because it sounds a little more professional, uh, smarty pants. Okay. What this movie does in such a smarty pants fashion is that, and this is a credit to Paul Verhoeven. I believe, I believe, okay. I should also say this is, he told this story, so I'm going to go with it. I don't know if it, cause whenever you hear a movie, get a movie, everyone will say this brilliant idea was their idea, but I'm going <laughs> right. to go with Paul Verhoeven where he said, you know, like you don't get a lot of time with Peter Weller's character. Uh, what's his What's his character's name again? Um, uh, Murphy. Alex Murphy. You don't get a lot of time with Murphy. My name's Murphy. So it's like, how do you get the audience to give a fuck about this character you, you, you don't really get to see? You need to feel for him. What do you do? Torture the fucking guy. Make his yeah. death scene so insanely gratuitous that you can't help but root for him. Yeah. And then show his wife and kid. Yeah, and even just in small little bits, um, and it's like it's it's true. Like you don't get a like you don't get a lot of time with Murphy. You don't really get a chance to know who he is. You get to know who he is a little bit through proxy, um, and but even like 
Because, like, really, the person who's in the movie that has spent the most time with him that we hang out with is Nancy Allen's character, Lewis. Yeah. Uh, but she's only known him for a fucking day herself. Yeah. You know, what I think was really effective in, in helping that was two shots that mirrored each other. Ooh, and that tell was me. when, like, after he died, but, like, right before he was booted up, we see a shot that, like, zooms through his neighborhood to his driveway mm-hmm. of his wife and kid, right? And then later on, when he starts to remember, he drives up that street, but this time the driveway's empty. And the shot, like, resembles that first one perfectly and mimics it. And it's so quick, and it doesn't take up any time. And they don't draw an enormous amount of attention to it either way, but, like, with that shot of him driving up the driveway, it feels so empty Mm -hmm. uh, in, in a way that really makes you feel for that character that you didn't get to spend much time with. Yeah. Oh, 100%. And then you get to, you have to see him walk through the house seeing all the flashbacks of him and his family and that's yep. when you're just like, oh, "Okay, I'm like I'm like sad now. You feel for the guy." <laughs> um and yeah, but it really just throws you through all all these emotions. And I just think it's done so well. So my my two hot takes are, and I don't know if if they're hot takes. One, I think this is a perfect movie. I think this is without flaws. So it's a five out of five for me. Yeah. Okay. I think this is a a perfect movie with the balance of how serious they take it, the one-liners, the action, the story all together. I just think it is absolutely perfect. And I think it's so perfect that it it might be my favorite movie of all time from the 80s. Whoa. not sci-fi, not not every not genre. Not it down, just I think the that's my favorite. Decade. Yes, I think that's my favorite '80s movie of wow. all time. After yeah, after seeing it for the first time, <laughs> that's my that's my hot take. I think it is so fucking good. I plan to watch that as as many times as I possibly can. <laughs> I I will say I think it exemplifies '80s cinema really it it is like yes in the apex of like what was 80s cinema robocop has to be in that conversation yeah. yeah and it's like it's not to downplay terminator 2 or terminator or any of those other aliens it's not yeah. to like downplay I've, any of those they're all great i just this one i think this one's the winner for me out of the nice. 80s honestly yeah it is it it's, was it's so an, much it's fun. a movie that every time i watch it too i get something else out of it like this most recent time oh, nice. okay um i was um so I, I I was just mesmerized by Peter Weller in this movie. Not only because mm-hmm. he's an, a fucking Adonis, but like, <laughs> um, but like as he the way he moves in this movie, like he'll turn his head and then do this this phenomenal swivel of his body, and I and then like quick snap his head, and you're like, oh god. And I I, I looked like... him up. One, he's from Stevens Point, Wisconsin. Represent. Oh nice. Um, oh okay. Yeah. But then two, I did a little digging, and he said one of the reasons that he did. Um, he, he, he was a dancer, apparently. He used to do some dance. I don't know how in-depth he oh. was, but that was, like, apparently one of the things that he, when he came into audition for Paul Verhoeven, he was show, he he wanted to show that because he was a dancer, he just had unusual control of his body. And okay. I was like, well, that makes complete sense, because when I was, um, I was trying to make a short film not too long, a different film than the one I just completed, and I had a character that had to move in a very particular, I pretty much had to find a way for a character to without the use of their hands, figure out how to stand up and crawl up a flight of stairs without being able to use your hands. Oh, I know that script. Yeah, and I, <laughs> I, 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 uh, I was talking to a friend of mine. It's like, we got to figure this out. And he's like, why don't you get a dancer? 
what do you mean? It's like, why don't you, you know, they don't have to be the one to do it, but why don't you get a dancer to help choreograph that scene? Because they will be able to figure out a way to do it in a way that just us schmoes that can't do it. I'm like, oh, fuck, it's a genius idea. Yeah. <laughs> they understand the movement of the, they've studied how the body moves. And while, and so, like, as I watch Peter Weller, and it's like, I just kept thinking as I watched it, like, he has to have been a dancer. <laughs> and I and I was and I, I looked it up and he said he used to I don't know how like how in depth if he was like what kind of dance but he said he used to dance and I was like it shows and just the way that he moves his body and if bat if the Batman series has taught us anything if you don't know how to move your body you'll have a very boring ass Batman because up until <laughs> Christopher Nolan no one could fucking move their neck who plays Batman so they always have to go oh, 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 oh. and you know. I feel like if you would have gotten a, someone who who could dance in that role, they could have found a way to be a little more elegant with it. Um, so, yeah, I, as I watched this movie, I just kept staring at Peter Weller. I'm like, man, he's just – the way that he moves and the way that he's he can magnetic add – magnetic in this movie. Yeah, man. and the way that he can add inflection <laughs> to his voice, even though he's, he's monotone through the entire movie – there's something he, he's perform. He's not just talking like this. He's performing. Yeah, I've always loved his voice too. He's got such just a like a manly, grizzly just voice that I don't know what about it. Like every time he speaks, I'm like, that's that's Peter Weller. I know that voice. <laughs> and then I also I I love Nancy Allen. She, like if I had a Hollywood crush, it'd probably be Nancy. Well, as a kid, it was Winona Ryder. Winona forever. Um, but like, as in like, rider uh, or dire, rider or die. There's another T-shirt. Yes, <laughs> rider or die. Actually, that sounds dirty. <laughs> Maybe we should make that into a T-shirt. People might not get it. And I should just say Winona, ride or die. <laughs> there you go. That um, there less, you go. That's less creepy. That that yeah. That puts some. Um, uh, but um context oh nancy allen i i've ever since i saw blowout for the first time i i just felt like in that movie specifically i was like she was just a wounded bird that like needed to get to be taken care of but then at the same time she's like kind of a badass in that movie and tough and then i also love that her character in robocop was was not originally written for a female character Mm, it was was written for a male act it was it was it was originally a male character and I love just the way that she plays this part. And like I said, I just I just have an absolute like love for everything Nancy Allen does. It's actually my goal of um, I'm, we'll see if I actually do this in 2023. I want to watch all 40 movies that she's been in. Ooh, okay. Because I just absolutely love her. And um, yeah, like I guess I didn't really have much to add to to that other than that. And actually, uh. Funny story about Nancy Allen. Nancy Allen um, uh, kind of got me connected with a with a friend of mine. His name is Cameron Masterson. He, uh, if anyone, if, if you guys have seen any of the movies I've done, he did the end title credit song for From the Darkness Theater. Okay. He also did the end title credit song for my my follow up movie Love You Still. Um, and then that composer actually used his melody from that song as influence for the the score. Uh, I met him because I was so obsessed with the movie Blowout. I was on YouTube and I found that he wrote a song dedicated to Nancy Allen's character in Blowout called uh, Sally Badina. And it's just a, a delightful, like, kind of haunting song 
about her character and i reached out to him just pretty much saying i fucking love this song and i asked if i i asked for his permission to illegally rip it from youtube so i could listen to it as much as i wanted to and we became friends after that and he (laughs) did music for me all because of our mutual love for nancy allen i love that that's a great story that's that's wholesome i like that yeah yeah so nancy allen you're a real one (laughs) yeah i thought she was great i thought i thought her and um uh, P- uh, Peter Weller together just had good chemistry on. They didn't have much time on screen, but you could tell that she cared for him, even though he had, she had only known him for like well, like a day or two, right before he got yeah. murdered. I know. I keep ho- so, I keep hoping in that Nancy Allen's gonna have the Barbara Crampton style comeback, but what are you gonna do? <laughs> that would be. <laughs> yeah, you know um, the 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 relationship between those two points out another interesting reaction that I had to the film, and that's that while not at all uncommon during this era it was interesting for me watching robocop for the first time now in this era um given how much it glorifies the police you know where that was an era when the police were seen pretty much well and i should say in you know my white ass culture you know of of wisconsin (laughs) Like, I was not aware of those racial differences in how um, the the police were viewed. So it, it made sense back then. And watching it today, it's like, oh, shit. Yeah, no, they're just, like, cheerleading police in a way that doesn't feel right today. No, and, it, right. and RoboCop's not even the worst offender of... Because, like, in, during this time period, granted, this movie I'm about to reference came, like, almost 10 years prior, but, you know, there were examples of movies shining a light on the shittiness of the police force, something like Serpico and, right. and things like that. The dirty top kind of... Yeah, and, uh, and Serpico was legitimately about police... Um, uh, uh, bribery Cor- and corruption corruption and and such like you know yeah they did movies about dirty cops and that kind of had a little bit to say I'm like this guy doesn't stand for what we stand for type of thing but like you know they were they, was also earlier than this track. yeah it's about 10 years prior yeah uh, so okay. and i think there was a swing yeah uh politically towards the nope police are the good guys when, and, when was reagan in office <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um well, wouldn't even. Uh, oh wait, no. I was gonna say. I was gonna say assault on precinct thirteen, but that was that was seventy six. So that was even yeah. Earlier so, than, but than like, um, but this is not even the worst offender of it. Like, um, on uh, last year, I was on an episode of uh, of Cinepunks, uh, the, the 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 actual proper podcast Cinepunks, and we did a Sylvester Stallone double feature on that, which I highly recommend you both listen to because it's a fascinating episode where we double featured Sylvester Stallone in First Blood. Which has a lot to say about the plight of uh, milita- uh, the veterans when they come back from yeah. from war. It has a lot to say about PTSD, um, homelessness, and just quite a bit to say. And it was like 1980s, like one maybe. Let me yeah, just early, don't, yeah. Let me just take a look. It was first blood was 1982, um, and it kind of gave a. While it is an action film. Um, in in all sense of the word, uh, n- near the end, it is also a character study and has a really good performance by Sylvester Stallone. Cut to nineteen. We also double featured it with uh, cut to nineteen eighty six, 
which is right around the time the RoboCop came out, a couple years um, difference, we also talked about Cobra, a movie that I admittedly love is with as problematic as it was, where Sylvester Stallone does not play a character with any softness. He plays a, a cop that just shoots whoever he wants, does whatever he wants to do, doesn't give a damn about the rule book, and, you know, thinks that if, if, if everyone's getting in his way, he can't stop crime. And it was like, it's, I was saying, it's like, man, I love this movie because it's just a really dumb big action film, but it's uncomfortable with where the world climate right. is, yeah. even more so than something like a RoboCop. Um, and it's just interesting, just like in just a couple of years, how big of a fucking swing that was. Right. Because in, in First Blood, the cops were the fucking enemy. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm, and I, I say that that's just based on your description. That one's on my shame list as well. So what Cobra or first blood? Well, both of them, but first blood yeah. is the one that's officially yeah. uh, listed on my, on my, printout. it is an incredibly great film. And actually another reason I, I suggest you guys listen to that Cinepunks episode is because we go really hard on Sylvester Stallone as an actor and where it went wrong. Oh, okay. Interesting. All right. Or in our opinion, you know. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. So, mm. yeah. So it's just interesting. Like this, it's it it, ha- it the movie has a lot to say about the militarization of police, but it doesn't realize that it's also a pro police. It's it's very strange. It's like so you have this company that's trying to militarize the police, which is what right wing dorks want to have happen. <laughs> So you'd think this movie would be for that because well, it, it is it, such a pro-police movie. It's right. strange. It, it draws a distinction between the police officers and then the systems that want to use it to militarize them and, and manipulate them. Like it's the beat cop versus big, uh, big corporation capitalism, you know. Yeah, and now like I feel granted. I I I, I want to rewatch the 2014 RoboCop movie because I feel like I remember liking it. But I'm curious what they had to say about these themes in 2014, right? Um, because you, I almost feel like you could do another version of RoboCop where like this big corporation is just Elon Musk. Um, <laughs> and speaking of which, does Twitter still exist today? I haven't checked <laughs> uh, since I, I woke know. up. I feel like it's this weird thing because like now the people who are super police are also pro capitalism. I just I feel like this movie, the original RoboCop, is giving such weird messages in terms of the way the world is viewed now today, right? With what's happening, so it's very strange. It's like it's weird to think that a movie that was pro police back in the eighties would be anti capitalism <laughs> because now people who are pro police are pro fucking capitalism and douchebags like elon musk doing whatever the fuck they want it's very strange and now i really want to watch the rewatch that 2014 robocop because everyone hated it but i remember something about it just clicking with me so i'm curious what the morals of 2014 robocop were like right yeah my plan is to watch because i i own the two and three on screen factory so I'm, i plan to watch those i heard two is pretty decent but three is is apparently not that good seems at all. to be the and trend with with yeah 80s sequels two, two any two any two movie two is like oh it's it's pretty decent and then three is like yeah. three and beyond 
Yeah, so, uh, and then we're going to watch the uh, remake as well. So I'm just going to watch them all at this point, but then I'll probably end up going back to the first one and having a good old time, so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I also just, unless there's something else you guys want to talk about, I just want to just confess my absolute love, once again for Nancy Allen, but no, uh, for uh, Basil <laughs> Palidoris' score in this movie. Like, there is, it's 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 interesting because it's a big orchestral score, but it also feels robotic at times with the way it uses percussion. But then there's, like, just so much emotion in this movie, and it comes from the score. Um, I, I have yeah. to admit that as much of a music-oriented person as I am, I, I was in band in high school and college and middle school, and I still play to this day. I have a hard time, I think because I am so narratively focused, um, while I am very aware that score and soundtrack strongly affects my reaction to a movie, I don't, I'm not conscious of it, especially on a first or second watch through. It's always interesting to me so about it, that. It, it takes time for me to go, oh, there's a score here. Yeah. That's what it's well, doing. Well, then it's, you know? it, if anything, it's showing that it's working because you're yes, not. right. It's, it's usually. Like if the you, editing adage of yeah. if you can see the editing, then you're not doing your job right. Yeah, to, if, which if, is. Like, a I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big, but. I'm a big score guy. So I'm listening for it. But like, usually for most people, when they notice the score, it's because they don't like something about it. Um, yeah. That's, uh, or, it, or, that or it's just that. an unusual standout in some way. Right. Where like, um, uh, but no, it's um, it's 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 always been interesting to me. Like I say, not saying that music's not important to you, Nick. I'm not making yeah, that distinction. No, not just, at all. But it is funny though. Um, back when Arrow Video was one of our sponsors, that was the music I played in the background of that Arrow clip. Was nice, the music yeah. from RoboCop. <laughs> uh, but it's always been fascinating to me that it's uh, it's not something that you notice more. And like I said, not in a negative way. It's just everyone's brain and how they process information is different what what they're observe what they're actively observing versus passively observing or absorbing well, it's funny you yeah. you mentioned score because i'm usually one that notices score because i i'm a i'm big into music and stuff like that i play instruments so i'm always listening for this like when someone i'm listening to like rock or whatever i'm listening to the drums guitar i'm listening to the rhythm i'm not listening you're to also the forgetting that dr proctor is a pretty decent beat maker as well I, you know, I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty, you know, self self acclaimed, I guess. Uh, but <laughs> I am always, lo I do look for scores. But now that you mentioned that, and bring it up. I don't even remember hearing a score. Well, I feel guess like it what, was guys? Seamless. I'm gonna, it I'm gonna like, help you out with that a little bit. Yeah, jog my memory. It was almost like it was too seamless with the movie. I, I didn't notice it standing out. All right, we're gonna do. Uh, I just, I just want the original score, guys. Come on. RoboCop score. While you're looking for that, I'll, I'll say one thing about uh, more sound effects. And I thought it was funny because RoboCop's footsteps are like those doo-doo-doo-doo drums from the 80s. Like those very electronic. <laughs> I was like, dude, this guy is a one running scene away from a fucking drum solo, dude. I was like, I just wanted to see him like doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo go down the road. I thought that was so funny. I love how all you did was do 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 and I knew exactly what the fuck <laughs> yeah. you were talking about. I'm like, oh, yeah. yep. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like the, uh, so the, yeah, the super electronic 80s, 80s drums, man. Yeah. Oh, right. That's what his Let's... footsteps sounded like to me. All right. This is 1987, the ultimate theme, apparently. The ultimate theme. The ultimate yes. theme. This isn't the half-assed theme that no. is in most cuts. 
All right, so I'm not even gonna worry about muting you guys. So just, just whatever. So I can sing along. Yeah. Do 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 do. Yeah. They <laughs> It's like, it, it manages to be big, but also, like, melodic. Anything yeah. that uses timpani is I'm down with. Like, strings yes. and lasers! Nick, I hope when you edit this, you keep our commentary over it. <laughs> it's, I'll have to figure out how to layer the best over the... Yeah. Best part's coming up soon. I can't wait. I'm on the edge of my robo-seat. It keeps building to almost getting to the theme. There it is. It's gonna bring a tear to my eye. I know it. It, it, it was to, so ultimate. It 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 it, it, man, <laughs> it, so it manages to somehow be both simultaneously. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, um, it's almost foreboding. Yeah, you know what I mean, it, it, like, it's just like it, it has that sci-fi element, but it, it doesn't stop itself from still at times being really pretty, like what they're doing with the strings it's and very yeah. orchestral. And going yeah. back to what we were saying earlier about Ooh. like a. A B movie with A money. That's an A money score. Yeah, like that is a big fucking boisterous score. Like I have an unapologetic love for Brad Fidel's score for Terminator, but as we heard on the trailer, it is a far more stripped down, we don't have as much money score. This had a fucking orchestra. This one paid for yeah. the extra cellos. Yeah. They, yes. they, they got the upgraded orchestra. Oh, and then, like, package. when the, and then I'm sure, I don't know if you guys heard in your head, like, but when the strings just kind of came out of, of the left channel, and I was like, yeah. oh, like, ooh. But yeah, that is, a, strings, that is a solid score. You know, they tickle your jimmies a little bit. <laughs> that is a good score. Now, I can I guarantee it. you guys are going to be humming that for the rest of the day. Like, dun, bum, 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 oh, 100%. Bum, 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 That's my theme song for the day. As we drive to the movie, I'm just going to play this on fucking repeat. <laughs> just blasting it in Gabby's ear. <laughs> it's, it, I also love that if you look up the RoboCop soundtrack right now on YouTube, because um, I love that everyone puts this, we are posting this for education and preservation. <laughs> yes. Educational purposes. Basil Caladores. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right, Nick, run us through some of your notes. Um, I found it really interesting how much of the story was told through the lens of the media and television. I'll buy that for oh, a dollar. Yeah. With a, I'd buy that for a dollar. That is one of my notes right under the section. Um, there, yeah, that's how they introed the movie with uh, like a little news I'll clip. I thought that was a, yeah, yeah, that was a great way to set off the uh, tone there, of the story. There's not only that, which really anchored it with, without really showing the everyday man that this storyline affects. 
watching it through news media made you feel like like the future Detroit resident who was learning about this new police policy and this new, you know, experimental thing that they're doing to clean up the streets. You know, it, it was really effective. And then they also shuffled into that mix, those commercials. Yeah. Which, Mm -hmm. which in a really fun and silly way hinted at the, the state, of of this place like you know there was a board game commercial where the family's sitting around playing a fun board game but it's like newcom yeah <laughs> you know and then the, and then the six thousand sux yeah six thousand sucks with the claymation or stop motion t-rex or whatever and, and like yeah you do, you're like what the fuck am i what Oh my God! It's the car commercial they referenced commercial. before. It was so good and so yeah. silly and so effective that it just—I <laughs> couldn't help but tip my hat to them. And yeah. I, like, yep, you earned—you earned all of the joy that I have right now. That was all you. Just felt like I was watching RoboCop on TV. You know what I mean? There was com- added commercials, right? <laughs> I think for the most part, there are certainly many points that I could make, but I think I've told the main points of my reaction. But there mm. is one more thing that I would like to talk about. Why was it necessary to bring toxic waste into one particular kill point in that like had nothing to do with it? And then all of a sudden for two and a half minutes, it was a trauma film. Yeah, for, for uh, I like all my friends. For no I, I good would like to reason. imagine they were commenting on the treatment of toxic waste in the 1980s. That's what I like to believe. But at the same time, this was a trend in the 80s. Like um, um, Friday the 13th, uh, Part Eight, Jason takes Manhattan, does the yep. same fucking thing. Where why is there toxic waste now all of a sudden? Yeah. I, I honestly feel like New York. Like you said, Mine. Nick, it becomes a trauma film. People, Lloyd should be getting paychecks for this shit. Right. <laughs> I'm sure um, it's the result of that being something that was discussed politically at the time. And them trying, they're, they're clearly throwing in like. I really thought of, toxic waste was going to be a way bigger issue as a kid. Like, I it's just like thought there was going to be, I there was gonna be yeah. vats of toxic waste everywhere. Three eyed fish and. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that that oh, and that then took the, a the weird melting turn for me. <laughs> that and, was like so Cronenbergian, almost right, just how yeah. gross and goopy yeah. he was. It, oh my god! I think it was for for all of the ways that RoboCop has become more relevant today. Toxic Waste was the one where they missed the mark. Yeah, that was a very eighties <laughs> thing. That, that was the one that, like, oh, yeah, nope, that's not... I mean, while toxic waste is still a thing that needs to be properly managed, like, the increasingly problematic police states and late-stage capitalism, like, that all became more of an issue. And then, yeah. <laughs> toxic waste just didn't. So so it kind of <laughs> stands out as this weird, like, oh, that was something they worried about. <laughs> right. Just like barrels in under under in places, Sitting like there's around. a barrel of toxic waste. Yeah, Don't I really just thought it. like you're gonna go to your basement and be like, oh man, someone left this barrel of toxic waste oh. here. Son of a, damn it! What do I do with this? And an old yeah. chair that's rickety. Like I gotta tell the, gar- <laughs> the garbage people, pay eight dollars to have them come pick it up. 
You just got to call the number on the side of the toxic waste. Can you guys come pick up your glowing <laughs> vat, please? The raccoons are getting into it, and they're growing extra <laughs> limbs. Man, that one raccoon is really I'm swole. Out, man. <laughs> swole raccoon. It's like, mm. <laughs> start some shit. Oh, man, I can talk, too. <laughs> Holy shit. Um, this is what happens. I'll buy when- that for a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens when me and Nick decide to talk about a movie we haven't watched in a while. <laughs> oh my goodness! Um, no, I'll, and all I'll, I'll, I'll kind of give my wrap up of, of RoboCop. I think it's a movie that, um, I think it's easy to say, you know, to all varying degrees. I think it's a movie that we all appreciate, if not love, after having seen it. And it's a movie that I, like I said, every time I've watched it is just kind of, my appreciation for it has grown because I've noticed something. Because the first time you see it, it's very much like, holy fuck, that was a cool (laughs) fucking movie. And then like, as you watch it, like you're still like, holy fuck, that's a cool fucking movie. But then you start noticing. But in different ways. Yeah, you start noticing some of the other elements and you start, uh, and then this goes to anytime you rewatch a movie, after the, the shock of how good or sometimes bad a movie is, you then have a little more time to to sit down and appreciate all the other elements at work. Yeah, the, the start, stuff that's actually going on. Yeah, you just start mm-hmm. realizing there's there is quite a bit going on in this movie. Like I found myself really enjoying Miguel Ferrara's part in this movie because, like, the first time I watched it, I was like, "Well, he's clearly just as bad of a bad guy as like the the people who run this corporation." But then, as I watched it this time, it's like, you know, I don't know if necessarily think he's a bad guy, but I don't think he's a good guy either. But I feel like he has something. He's trying. He's tr- like, he hasn't quite made that that transition yet to being like. You know, all these guys with the last name Dick or whatever. <laughs> you know, like, like Dick Jones. He hasn't quite made that. He still has a heart. Um, and he's on his kind of his his transition to becoming one of these evil guys. And I don't know. I, I found his performance a lot more compelling than I have in the past. And I think when, they, when a, a piece of media portrays something other than just straight good guys and straight bad guys, it adds a lot of... Like, you can then see the effect of the world on the characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a similar reaction um, to They Live mm-hmm. with the the character who was in that camp who then got converted, and you saw him then later who finally yeah. gave in George to the... George Flower, yeah. Yeah, like, then you can... It, it's not that, well, this person is bad because they're a bad person and this person is good because they're a good person. It shows that, like, it's the decisions you make within the social structure that you live in that even though they may be best for you, that they have outside consequences that all of the characters then become more complex. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Very nice. Thank you. Very nicely put, yes. I couldn't I, say that any better. That's because it's <laughs> now officially after 12 here on the East Coast, so my brain has woken up. And yeah, that's true. It is 12.30 over here. Um, so uh, real quick before we wrap up, uh, Austin, you've already told us that what your thrill house moment was. And pretty much your thrill house moment was that guy getting his shit rocked. Yeah, um, I was like seven minutes in, and I'm like, this is going to be amazing. I'm ready. Um, yeah, that was my Nick, thrill house. Nick, what was your thrill house moment, if you remember? I do. Um, it was the boot-up sequence. Um, I was impressed with how much time they took with it. 
that they didn't just go boop okay he's up like they spent a surprising amount of time interacting with him and okay here's what we're doing with this guy and you could see him acclimating and i i found it yeah he wasn't just like there he wasn't just okay now i'm robocop right they could have just done it where he just walked in and like okay here's what we did with that dead body um but uh every minute that they took with that was worth it and oh yeah all that was great it almost made it feel like a monster movie for a little bit at that point, except that the monster was the hero. Yeah, it's it yeah. definitely has some Frankenstein elements. Yeah, to it. yeah. Um, so that that was my thrill house moment. For me, I've got Very two. Nice. I have I have my. I, I'm not even gonna lie. Like my th- when I first saw this movie, I didn't know I uh, uh, all the way through. I didn't know Nancy Allen was in it, so I saw her. She was kind of my <laughs> thrill house moment. I was like, "Fuck yeah, Nancy Allen's in this!" But then if like. Yeah. Um, I had. There's another T-shirt. Nancy Allen is my thrill house moment. <laughs> <laughs> that one's actually really good. That's um, good. Uh, but then, like, um, funny enough, like, so if I had to say, like, that was my, like, um, that was my, like, true lock-in. Uh, but then, like, there was, if I could have, let's say, I had a secondary thrill house moment no nope, you can't so okay. we're gonna wrap up the episode no <laughs> my 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 uh the part that i guess just kind of really impressed me just like how fucking clever this movie is not necessarily from a story standpoint but just like everything that they're doing it inspired it, my my filmmaker thrill house moment was when robocop had to go to that bank and stop that um uh what is that guy uh the the, the guy who was like holding all those hostages Oh and yeah, and he, he just went, takes the gun and bends it down. And then he he switched over to his <laughs> thermo like um, view, and it was so clever because they just painted body suits to look like thermo. <laughs> I noticed that, but it's like it's done so fucking well. I'm like, oh shit, that's just really fucking clever. And it as a filmmaker, it just inspired me like to want to be better. Nice, nice. I want to paint Very fucking nice. body suits. <laughs> yeah, make it look like thermal. Yeah. So that, those yeah. Are the, Nancy Allen is my thrill house moment. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. All right. Was there anything else you guys want to talk about before we Austin has to get to go into his movie? I uh, I had one thing to yeah. say about the uh, fight scene between ED two hundred nine and RoboCop, and it was everything I've ever wanted from a movie. <laughs> I didn't think we were going to get that. When that thing came back and I was like, there's going to be a fucking fight between these two? I was like, ah! Well, it's it's like... Um, <laughs> I was losing my shit. <laughs> well, it, it was great, too, because you can't set up that... It, I'd be upset if they set that fucking creature up and then or that robot up and then we didn't get a comeback from it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so that was, uh, I guess, my second wraparound thrill house moment. But narratively speaking, it did... Like, I had a similar reaction because it did feel like that uh that story point fulfilled its purpose it was it 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 didn't feel hanging like this hanging undealt with story part so that when it did come back it did have this element of oh cool we get that again it's it was was very much like a Chekhov's gun type situation it's like if we only get this thing to blow away that fucking guy that's cool but man will the audience erupt if that thing comes back and it fucking does and austin was probably on the ceiling at that point 
I was. I was jumping up and down. I was like, dude, this not only is amazing, but it looks good and it's held up over 35 years. Yeah. You're like, good yeah. God. Bravo. Honestly, bravo. I love that Austin loved this movie so much. Right? <laughs> dude, I fucking loved it. It's Our podcast gave someone a new favorite movie. <laughs> yes. Five out of five. So good. I will be frequenting that, this movie. And it's only like an hour 42. It's, like it's, it's or hour 45. It's not even And the extended yeah, cut only has long. like a minute of time into it. It's all just gore. Yeah. It's easy, First time breezy, I paused beautiful it to... RoboCop. Yep. Yes. Put that on a shirt too. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. No, look, so many of them. Are you, you are writing just, all these down? Shit. You are just, well, whoever edits this will have to go through and write them all down. <laughs> I'm writing easy, breezy down right <laughs> Easy, now. breezy, beautiful RoboCop. Yes, beautiful. Oh, yeah, Robocop, but with this beautiful mane of hair coming <laughs> yes. out of the top of his head. It has to be like a bouffant, like a like a Portland not Portland, uh, like a Baltimore bouffant. <laughs> we could even take unmasked Robocop with Peter Weller's face and add some hair to it if we really mm. wanted to. That would be even creepier and fun. <laughs> I love oh, it. Oh man. Easy breezy beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I think my still yes. my favorite is still Vladimir Putin. <laughs> Nancy Allen that is was, my thrill uh, house moment. That just came, yeah, that came off the top. That was my thrill house moment of this podcast. Yes. <laughs> all right, guys. I think that's all I've got for Robocop. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as always, guys, please join us again for our next episode. Nick, have we decided if we're going to do Christmas Kit next or the other one? Uh, I don't know. I think we'll we'll just record cool. them both well, ASAP, and then we'll we see are going to be doing some new. We're going to be doing some Christmas episodes. It's our yearly tradition where we end the season with a Christmas episode. Only one time we didn't end the season with a Christmas episode. Actually, no, that's a lie. Our first season we started. Our second episode is a Christmas episode, and then we yeah. ended the season with another Christmas with, episode. Yeah. Boom. Um. So, yeah, as always, guys, please check that out. And also, I just want to let you guys know we do have some pretty cool guests planned. Or I've got some pretty cool guests planned for next season that I'm hoping uh, uh, come through. So hang out hang out with us, guys, and um, we'll show you some cool shit. Nick, I don't remember nice. our sign-off. Me either. I've been, oh. like, struggling for the last three minutes. Oh, so hold on. No, I do remember. This so, is why I should never change anything. Join us next, <laughs> next time, guys. Shame time, shame place, shameless picture show. Yes! Oh, I love it! Beautiful! The Shameless Picture Show is recorded in Milwaukee, Wisconsin and Easton, Maryland and is hosted and produced by Nick Richards and Michael Viers. Today's episode was edited by Michael Viers. Our opening theme music was written especially for us by The Directionals with narration by Zach McLean. The end credit music you're enjoying at the moment was generously provided by my friends in the band 10 Speed. The shameless graphic design is masterfully done by Amanda Byers. An extra special thank you to all of our Patreon supporters and to our generous sponsors. We are on Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, Google Play, and Libsyn. You can find links for all these amazing people in the description below.